As we sit here in the middle of October, it is well past time for another edition of the AUDL podcast. Hi again, everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday Toss edition, which in the interest of full disclosure is actually being recorded on Monday evening. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Evan Leffler. Hope everybody out there is doing well. Hope everybody has digested the last couple of months without the American Ultimate Disc League in your lives on a week-to-week basis. But if you're like me, and I imagine many of you are, in that you eat, live, and breathe Ultimate on a regular basis, whether you play or coach or ref or are just one of our loyal fans, if you're like me, you've spent a lot of time in the past couple of months thinking about the AUDL, about how Championship Weekend transpired, about what will happen in the offseason, and looking ahead to 2020. So as I sit here in my home in North Carolina, I've been thinking about recording a podcast for the last couple of weeks, and it's just time. It's past time. So here we are. On this Monday evening, I've got the Monday Night Football game on my television. It is muted at the moment, the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Earlier today on this Monday, there was some news that the Chicago Wildfire and the Indianapolis Alley Cats will be having a halftime exhibition at Soldier Field this Sunday at halftime of the Chicago Bears game. Uh, Not the first time this has happened for the AUDL, but still pretty cool. Uh, the Vikings had the Minnesota Windchill out at a game, I believe, last year, and the Madison Radicals have been out to a Green Bay Packers game. It's always cool to get to see Ultimate on that big stage. So it is the off season for many, but for those teams, they're getting ready to put on a show this weekend. Best of luck to Indy and Chicago when they take the field in front of what should be about 60,000 people at halftime this Sunday. Anyway, lots of things that I'd like to talk about, and as I begin this, I've got a little list of of notes in front of me, which is not usual for me. Usually, I'm completely off the cuff, but it has been a couple of months. I've been refreshing on the season. I've been thinking a lot about it over the past couple of weeks, and I really don't know as I begin uh, chatting to myself here on this Monday night whether... Uh, This will be a 45-minute podcast or an hour-long podcast, or I'll get my thoughts on the table in 15, 20 minutes. But alas, I appreciate you tuning in. For me personally, the past couple of months has been nice. You know, the, the AUDL season is a labor of love. It is a grind for all players and coaches alike, and especially for those of us who don't have any bye weeks like myself and and the members of the Fulcrum media team like Luke Johnson and Ian Lunger uh th- those those that crew works every single week bringing you games throughout the season uh, as do I with whether it's broadcasting or writing so it's been nice to have a little bit of a break and I've kind of gradually transitioned into my fall schedule of broadcasting which has had me somewhat busy but not crazy busy certainly not like the season I think I've probably worked something like five of the past nine weekends, but uh, the travel has been relatively limited, and I've been able to to catch up on some other things, and you know, I have had the last couple of weekends off, and I'm gearing up for a football game uh, this weekend. I've actually got the call of a pretty big ACC football game this Saturday, uh, NC State at Boston College. It's homecoming in Chestnut Hill, uh, certainly uh, Boston and Raleigh hometown of NC State, two great ultimate towns. And I was thinking last week, and I I have no idea about this, but just kind of wondering whether 
anybody might be at Alumni Stadium in Chestnut Hill this Saturday who will also be going to the USA Ultimate Club National Championships in San Diego uh, the following weekend. I will be heading out to San Diego, I think, a week from Wednesday, so pretty soon, eight days from now, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, heading out to San Diego for the USA Ultimate Club Championships, where it will certainly be a time to to revisit and recollect with many of the key players from the 2019 AUDL season and professional ultimate seasons past. But yeah, that's what I got coming up this weekend, getting a lot of uh, prep done this week to get ready for that big football game at Boston College. We're about two months removed from the New York Empire winning their first AUDL championship. And look, they, they were the best team in the AUDL from start to finish. They were not unchallenged. They were not untested. They were both challenged and tested throughout the season, including a championship weekend. And the final score probably doesn't do that championship game justice. And it, it is still available to be watched. The the Roughnecks in the championship game for the second straight year. For the second straight year, they fall short. Uh, it, last year, it was to the home team, the Madison Radicals, who finally got over the hump. And this year, the New York Empire kind of finally got over the hump as well. Although, if I'm being honest, I'd say it, it really felt like the Empire got over the hump a little over a year ago. And and for New York, the, the, the big hurdle that they needed to clear was the Toronto Rush because they had never beaten the Rush, I think, in 18 times or 16 times. You kind of lose count. But uh, the Empire... Despite having talent, despite having optimism and, and signing key players every single year, I mean, yes, the Empire added some superstars in 2019, like Grant Lindsley and Jack Williams most notably, but in the years before that, they added players like Ben Yacht and Jeff Babbitt and Harper Garvey, and they had this core that had kind of been competitive from the very start, but had not been able to get over that Toronto hump. And for a variety of reasons, that East Division Championship game happened the way it did. You know, Bo Kittredge is a notable name that, that joined the Empire that year and perhaps helped change the belief muscle in that team a little bit. And look, I, I've written and talked a lot about how that 2018 Empire team finally did get over the hump. In 2019, it was more about fulfilling their greatest potential and look this team did not dominate throughout the season that's that's one of the points that i tried to make in the tuesday toss as i wrapped up the season a couple months ago was that this new york empire team was perfect but they were by no means dominant and throughout the season they, they had a number of stretches where they did not look like a superior team compared to everyone else in their division they played many many competitive games throughout the year so when i think back on this new york empire season uh, you know th they played their best game when it counted the most which was the championship game against dallas they did not play great against the indy alley cats in the semifinals although they were certainly good enough to move on and they played great in stretches against toronto in uh that East Division Championship game and the Rush had played the day before and the Empire were at home and rested 
and they were good enough to get the job done. I was definitely happy for that team, and being a guy who grew up in Boston, I don't usually uh, express uh, happiness for New York success. That's just a part of the DNA of Bostonians. But, look, I, I obviously work with Brian Jones, the new head coach, for many, many years broadcasting games, not just in the AUDL, but in various world championships in the past. Work with Brian in Dubai and in London and uh, briefly in France as well, uh, 2015, 2016, 2017. So, you know, feel a connection with Brian and, and really have a great respect for his kind of ultimate acumen and his ability as a thinker to commit himself 100% to diagnosing and solving problems and getting things figured out. And I, you know, I'm grateful to Brian for sharing kind of unvarnished thoughts with me throughout the season. Not all for publication, of course, but mostly for publication, because I think he realizes the value of, of creating that honest dialogue and storyline for everybody in the sport. So, look, I, I have an appreciation for Brian. There are several members of the Empire that I've appreciated throughout the years for their candor as well, for their time, for their insights. And when you do this job, you get to know a lot of different people. And the vast majority, the vast, vast majority, you, you end up liking. So it was pretty cool to see the Empire do what they did. It was hard not to be a little disappointed for the Dallas Roughnecks. Now, look, the Roughnecks had an incredible South Division championship game on the road, obliterating the Raleigh Flyers on their home field to get back to championship weekend again. And that was a, a, a powerful moment for that Dallas franchise, which has evolved significantly from the super team that they had when they went 17-0 and in 2016 in their first season the 2019 version of the Roughnecks look it's not an entirely homegrown Texas team but their out-of-town superstars are relatively geographically close and it's interesting because last year injuries were such an important factor for the Roughnecks falling short in Madison when they obviously didn't have Kai Marshall at championship weekend and Abe Coffin was out for the entire year. And then Kevin Richardson and Dan Emmons, their two superstars, get injured at championship weekend. And look, injuries happen in sports. They're part of the circumstances that greet every playoff run and every narrative of every league ever. So, look, injuries happen, and this is not meant to take anything away from the 2018 Madison Radicals or the 2019 New York Empire but the elephant in the room for the Dallas Roughnecks in terms of this past championship weekend, the most recent one, was looking what happened to Jay Frude and his injury relatively early in that championship game. And look, I don't know if that would have been the difference in the game, but you can't say that it wouldn't have helped the Roughnecks to have Jay Frude, who was arguably their best player. You know, Abe Coffin had a great season. Dalton Smith played incredibly well. And, and the Roughnecks have really done a fantastic job integrating some of their young stars like Zach Marbach and Connor Olsen and Matt Armour and Henry Ferruda. I mean, how good was that young core? Griffin Miller as well 
for the Dallas Roughnecks. Those guys are the future of the Roughnecks franchise, and those guys are the reason that the Raleigh Flyers can't just automatically think, okay, next year is going to be our year. Because while Raleigh is incredibly talented and they added a a couple of all-rookie team members as well, the Raleigh Flyers know that Dallas is not going anywhere anytime soon in that AUDL South division. So, look, I'm not going to go down that Raleigh Flyers uh, psychology rabbit hole right now, but that'll be a conversation certainly for later in the offseason and in the buildup towards 2020. As far as other championship weekend thoughts, I think the Indianapolis Alley Cats and San Diego Growlers acquitted themselves relatively well. I think they were competitive in, in the two semifinal games. I think Indianapolis perhaps a little less so despite the final score. You know, the Alley Cats had some drops and mistakes in their game that were, I don't necessarily want to say uncharacteristic because, you know, they're a team that didn't always play flawless and they would tell you that themselves. But they just kind of got bit by that mistake bug early in that game in some key moments. And when they had some chances to really make the spectacular play that you had to make to beat the New York Empire, they weren't able to do it, and they fell short. And look, it wasn't a surprise that the Alley Cats fell short against New York, the final score being what it was, 17-15, if I'm remembering correctly, just a two-point deficit, cosmetically. Not too shabby for the Midwest Division champs. And, you know, for the Alley Cats, this was kind of their example of getting over the hump. Now, the question for them going forward will be, can they build on this? Because I think every other team in the Midwest Division, except maybe Detroit, will be heading into 2020 thinking, all right, Indy, they had their cute little run. That was fun. We're better than Indy. We're going we're gonna to take care of business this year. And that's probably how Madison feels, and that's probably how Chicago feels, and that's probably how Pittsburgh feels, and that's definitely how Minnesota feels. And the Minnesota Winchell have been the most aggressive team in the offseason so far, and I'll get to that in a little bit. As far as the San Diego Growlers in championship weekend, look, they, they made some very exciting plays and just did not have the consistency overall to get past the Dallas team that really was clicking on all cylinders. That was really, really impressive in that Saturday night semifinal. And, you know, that was an incredibly exciting game. All three games of championship weekend were were, were fun. You know, they all kind of had different ebbs and flows. You know, I think back on it, I'm not sure there was like a, a truly iconic play from championship weekend in 2019, like the Kevin Pettit-Scantling buzzer beater uh, against the Dallas Roughnecks the year before, or, you know, when I think about 2017, that was in Montreal. I mean, the iconic plays from that championship weekend were probably Toronto against Dallas in the semifinals, uh, Toronto upsetting the Roughnecks and then falling short against San Francisco in a wild 30 to 29 game. Obviously there were a slew of iconic plays in that 2016 championship weekend in Madison, the Seattle Cascades responsible for a bunch of them. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting run. You look at the past several championship weekends. It's cool that while, you know, Madison has been at everyone until this year, and the Dallas Roughnecks have been a, a constant participant. More and more, we're seeing new and new teams 
interact with that Final Four experience, which I think speaks to the depth of the league and the health of the league and the natural evolution of sports. And, you know, when you look forward to 2020, like it's been two years since Toronto has been there after they had been there every single year. The Madison Radicals clearly will have a chip on their shoulder heading into the 2020 season. And uh, certainly the West Division, you know, San Diego's going to be the favorite, but that'll feel pretty wide open as well. And if we're talking about wide open divisions, there's no division more wide open than the Midwest, which I think once again will have five teams at least capable of contending, uh, assuming that there's no realignment with the divisions. And I don't foresee any of that coming for 2020, although it's certainly not out of the question. Uh, the AUDL owners had their annual get-together in September. I am not an AUDL owner. They did not uh, extend an invitation to me. I've talked to a couple owners since then, and I don't think there's anything too groundbreaking. They were talking about schedules and and kind of stadium setups and operations and marketing and, and kind of that type of long-term strategic thinking. Obviously, it's been a good uh, off-season in terms of AUDL sponsorships, so that's good news. And, yeah, that's that's a different topic, and I wanted to get into that in a little bit. That kind of does it, though, for my championship weekend thoughts. Look, it was fun to meet Bill Nye. It was fun to work with Chuck Kindred, Charlie Eisenhood, Ian Toner, and Megan Tormey and have our variety of rotating guests onto our game day live set. It was, uh, it was a cool experience, as always. And, uh, you know, they're good Ultimate fans in San Jose. It certainly wasn't the same caliber of crowd as we've had uh, in Madison with the home team involved, that's for sure. Uh, but I, I still think the Bay Area fans uh, represented themselves well, and, and San Jose uh, is always a fun place to go. Uh, and it was great weather for championship weekend, so that was cool. Since championship weekend, there had been plenty of awards bestowed in the AUDL. And in case you missed it, I wanted to run through the all-AUDL teams, first team, second team, rookie team, and just, you know, share whatever quick thoughts come to mind about these players. I've not scripted anything for this, but one of the dynamics I was thinking about in terms of evaluating the players on all these teams is kind of asking a simple question. Is this their best season that they could have? Is this an average season for that individual? Or is this kind of just scratching the surface for this player's potential? And it's not meant to bring anybody down or even lift them up. It's just kind of share my perspectives about certain players and the seasons they had and and what we can expect from them going forward. So as I look at the all-AUDL first team, and I think this is just going alphabetically, uh, Montreal's Ken Tombano is the first guy on the list. And look, he had a spectacular year. He scored 83 goals almost seven per game, which is the most goals per game than any player has had in the history of the league. So it was a special year for Kenton Bono. Is that the best season he's going to have? Is that an average season? Or is that just kind of scratching the surface? I think if the Montreal Royale are lucky, that'll be his average season or that'll be the best season he ever has. And here's what I mean by that. The Montreal need to add to their depth and get more players involved. When Misha Freistadter averaged 6.8 goals per game and set the league record 
with a hundred and something goals in 2016, the then Jacksonville Cannons weren't very good. And occasionally can put together sizzling numbers individually as part of a great team. And we certainly saw that with first team members, Ben Yacht and Max Shepard, who I'll talk about in a moment. But for the Royale, I think they need to become a little bit more balanced. And look, Ken Tom Bonneau is going to get his. But the Montreal Royale this year were 4-8. and eight. And scoring 83 goals to lead the league, the fourth highest single season total in AUDL history, despite the schedule being shortened to 12 games. Look, it's an amazing individual season, but he needs to help foster the talent of the players around him. And, you know, the East division is really, really tough. In my opinion, the East was the toughest division this year because you got a player like Bono for the four and eight Royale, and you had Philly and Ottawa pulling up the rear of the division, and they all had capable playmakers as well. New York, Toronto, and D.C., all exceedingly dangerous teams. I think the Rush or the Breeze, if they had gotten a championship weekend, would certainly have had potential to win a game, maybe two, but certainly one. So the East Division as a whole is tough, and for Bono to put up the numbers he did against that competition is special. But it's hard to imagine him scoring more than seven goals per game next year. And again, I'm not sure the Royale will want him to do that. They want to become a little bit more of a balanced unit and win more games. If he can drop down to scoring four or five goals per game and you know continue to have a really strong completion percentage and add to his game, maybe become a little bit of a better defender, although he had 14 blocks this year as well, including a couple gigantic ones, I think denying a buzzer beater late in the game for a Royale uh, narrow victory. Look, Bono has the potential to be a special player, and need I remind you that he is really, really young. On opening day of 2020, he will be 24. He's still just 23. He'll turn 24 in March. So Bono, who in his three years in the AUDL has scored 164 goals in 36 games, has got a really bright future ahead of him, but I think this might have been the best year he's going to have. Travis Carpenter was on the AUDL first team. The Indianapolis Alley Cat star was was excellent this year and really took on a larger role, and it was kind of a cool narrative for Carpenter as his career has blossomed from being kind of the last guy on the roster for the Alley Cats opening 2012 season to gaining more and more responsibility and becoming a guy that made crazy athletic defensive plays and skying grabs for breaks to then evolving into a guy that helped lead the O-line and had a completion percentage around 95%, which was far greater than he had early in his career. And look, he's still just 26 and presumably entering his prime. I think the season he had this past year will probably be close to the average of what Carpenter can put together for the next several years. I mean, the Alley Cats are going to need him to do that, and they're going to need him to keep pushing if the Alley Cats are going to stay at the top or even near the top of a Midwest division, because as we discussed last year, and a reminder for those of you who haven't really been thinking about it lately, the Alley Cats may have won the Midwest division, but their overall point differential, if I'm remembering correctly, was the fifth best out of six teams in that division. So the Alley Cats are a team that 
weren't exactly a juggernaut. They won a lot of close games, Carpenter being really critical in that stretch, absolutely deserving of first-team All-AUDL, but they need him to be better. I think last year was basically an average season of what we can expect from Carpenter going forward. I mean, he had 15 goals, 54 assists, 10 blocks uh, in the regular season, had a really great year, and certainly was the best player on the Alley Cats from start to finish, playing pretty much every single game. Uh, one of just six players in the league, obviously, that has uh, played in each season since the AUDL began, and it was cool to see Travis get that award. Uh, continuing alphabetically, San Diego Growlers standout Travis Dunn. Travis Dunn is an interesting player because he has a he kind of has a way of taking games over quietly. And look, maybe that was just kind of a byproduct of the Growlers team last year. And they were a pretty balanced team. And they would just kind of be running their offense. And you wouldn't really feel like anybody was dominating. And at the end of the game, Travis Dunn would have four goals and five assists, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, he only turned at one time. He was involved in nine goals, but he just fit in really well as the button man for that San Diego O-line, which was the second highest scoring offense in the league, and, you know, a lot of that is situational. They didn't go against excellent defenses in the West Division for most of the season, and that was their entire competition, so... Look, we've talked about the West Division, and and I think for the West Division uh, next year, it'll be interesting to see how San Jose and Seattle can evolve and become a little bit more competitive week in, week out, a little bit more consistent rosters. But we're talking about Travis Dunn. No question, first team, all AUDL. Second year in a row that he was uh, on one of the all AUDL teams. And, uh, you know, the consistency for him is just what stands out. I'm looking at the AUDL uh, article right now on the website and uh, I did not write this but someone else uh, on the website wrote that Dunn had no games with fewer than three assists just two outings without scoring multiple goals like every time he took the field he produced and look I think the 48 assists 33 goals he put together last year kind of an average season I think he has potential to to do even more because he kind of got all of his in the flow of everything I mean, in contrast to a guy like Ken Tambano in Montreal, whom the Royale needed to be such a dynamic player downfield. And Travis Dunn, lest we forget, is capable of the spectacular highlight. And he, he had a bit of a sense for the dramatic at times throughout the season, late in games, where he would come up with a big block or make a big grab or, or just do something right in a key spot that would be really critical to the San Diego Growlers' uh, pursuit of victory. Ben Yacht, first team all AUDL. Once again, Yacht named the MVP. I was going to get to that in a bit, but I can get to that now. A remarkable year for Yacht, especially considering the talent that was around him. And look, you could argue that the talent around him made it easier, and that's absolutely true. But to accumulate the numbers he did offensively as a receiver, offensively as a thrower, as a defensive player as well, 
I mean, Yacht kind of played this season. You could just kind of tell with, with a chip on his shoulder. I think he, and I, I don't think this is meant to make him sound arrogant at all, but I think he realizes his immense ability. And I think it's important to him personally to try to get the most out of that immense ability that he has. And in 2019, you can't argue anything except he did. I mean, a remarkable year, winning a championship, MVP, really shining a notch or two above anybody else on that team. And when you look at the other players on that team with World Games guys from the past, like Grant Lindsley and Bo Kittredge, who's the greatest winner the sport has seen, to young up-and-comers like Jeff Babbitt and Jack Williams. I mean, Yacht was a step above. And he outplayed the next guy on this list, Rowan McDonald, who certainly had a worthy first-team All-AUDL season again. McDonald, the 2018 AUDL MVP. And may have been even better in 2019, but the rest of the league around him also got better. And, you know, for Rowan McDonald... 47 assists, 59 goals. I mean, I think it's it's kind of fair and obvious to say this is a, a average season for him at this point. I mean, the numbers can ebb and flow a little bit. He had the exact same number of assists last year that he had in 2018. He had 21 more goals last year than he had in 2018. McDonald. uh turn 30 during the season so he'll turn 31 next june but kind of everything about this guy says he's a late bloomer ultimate is his life it's his passion he runs clinics with kids before almost every home game obviously an all-star captain last year very likely an all-star captain this year considering that the 2020 AUD all-star game will be in his hometown of washington dc and just kind of the, the, what he's done to make himself into a guy that is, I mean, it would be surprising if Rowan McDonald is not on an all AUDL team next year. And he's a guy that four or five years ago, no one in the ultimate world really knew too much about. But he has, I don't want to say gradually improved. He has significantly improved like an aspect of his game every season. And then when he became the MVP, he sustained it and had a really great year uh, for the D.C. Breeze. So Rowan McDonald, uh, the fifth member of that All-AUDL first team, again going alphabetically. Andrew Roney for the Tampa Bay Cannons, a Tampa team that finished the season 4-8 and in fourth place in the South Division. The Cannons were hyping Roney's MVP candidacy early in the year. Uh, and certainly he was as important to his team as any player was to any team in the AUDL in 2019. And he just had an excellent year. He's an excellent all-around player. I, I will be interested to see if the Cannons can, A, develop some of their young talent to give Roney a little bit more help, and or, B, give him more help by bringing in some additional talent whether it's players who are in the state of florida who have not played professionally or whether that's reaching outside of the state because let's be honest dallas and raleigh are going to continue to be 
the top teams in this division and everyone else is chasing them. And if you're Tampa, Atlanta, or Austin, you're competitive. You've got some players, but at the moment you're competing for third place unless you substantially bolster your rosters going forward. So kudos to Roney. I mean, his his completion percentage waned a little bit as the year went on, but that he had so much responsibility on his shoulders to complete 92% of his passes with over uh, 570 completions was pretty impressive. He uh, led the league in assists per game. He was second in assists overall. Uh, really great year kind of quarterbacking that Tampa team in Florida. And the last member of the first team Hall AUDL was Max Shepard. And the Pittsburgh Thunderbird uh, joined that exclusive 50-50 club that Ben Yacht did as well. 55 assists, 57 goals for Shep in 12 games. And, I mean, he's had a, a pretty fascinating run in this league because he's been in the league since 2015. He's shown glimpses of his ability since 2015. Frankly, in 2018, he played every game and, and had an all-AUDL caliber season uh, from a goals and assist standpoint. His completion percentage left a little something to be desired, around 86% for the year. He upped that to 91.4 in 2019 and got the Thunderbirds to the playoffs. And look, I, I thought it was interesting what Pittsburgh did late in the year, uh, making a run towards the playoffs. And then I thought the Thunderbirds did a nice job marketing Max as an MVP candidate. And it really started with what, it, what he did in the All-Star game, showing no fear, a ton of confidence, and an ability to make big plays on that massive stage with – his peers in the sport, most of whom were more well-known than Max was going into that game. Shepard shined above, did it great, uh, played great down the rest of the season. And, you know, if the Thunderbirds make it a championship weekend, I'm not sure he would have beaten up Ben Yacht, but he certainly would have had a little bit more of a case. I think the MVP uh, voting was pretty unanimous down the stretch with, with Yacht even though the Pittsburgh uh, locals may have disagreed. And, hey, Shepard had a special season. As far as what he's going to do in the future, look, it's hard to be able to predict him playing even better than he did this year, but there's a reason I think he could. That's because he started the 2019 season playing on the D-line. And it wasn't until a few games in when he moved over to O and kind of developed this chemistry with Thomas Edmonds and – the other members of the O-line too, but it was really Edmonds and Shepard. The AUDL Twitter account maybe a week ago posted the the Shepard 14 score game from our final regular season AUDL game of the week in Chicago when the Thunderbirds absolutely blasted the wildfire. And like watching Edmonds and Shepard work together throughout that game, like it, it, it's just cool to see guys that are in sync like they were and it's not like they weren't taking chances to one another. They were taking tons of chances, and they almost all worked out just because they they were in each other's mind in a really positive way. So I think Shepard could have another special season next year. He's he's still relatively young. He seems very committed to the AUDL. I mean, Shepard was 24 in June, so he'll be 25 next June and obviously still has a long way to go to potentially become uh, – the best player in the league and you know to be a future MVP is certainly in the ceiling for Max Shepard after finishing uh, in the top three in the voting 
in 2019. So that was the All-AUDL first team. Kenton Bonneau, Travis Carpenter, Travis Dunn, Ben Yacht, Rowan McDonald, Andrew Roney, and Max Shepard. As far as the All-AUDL second team, I won't take nearly as long to run through this list, but uh, it was an impressive list. Again, going alphabetically, Jeff Babbitt from the New York Empire, second team All-AUDL, and a championship. Not a bad year for Jeff. Abe Coffin of the Dallas Roughnecks, after missing the entire 2018 season with injury, he came back and just got more and more comfortable as the season went on, had that lights-out, ridiculous performance in the South Division Championship game, which is going to be hard to top in terms of Abe's iconic performance in the AUDL. I mean, that game that he had against Raleigh was absurd in a variety of ways against a good Flyers team. So Coffin, second team All-AUDL for the season. And look, he's certainly a candidate to be a first team All-AUDL performer in the years ahead. Uh, Raleigh's Jacob Fairfax, second team All-AUDL. And he grew into a, a, a more well-rounded player this year. And he, you know, he told me an interesting story Fairfax did about, I think it was a, a preseason practice or an early season practice. He was actually out there with Jonathan Nethercutt, who ironically did not have a huge role in the Raleigh Flyers season overall for a couple different reasons. Uh, but Nethercutt, former MVP, certainly a leader in the Ultimate Community, was an important kind of, not necessarily a mentor, but an important leader that basically told Fairfax that it was okay for him to take shots as a thrower downfield because he did it once or twice in a practice. And Nethercut was like, why don't you ever do that in a game? And Fairfax is like, I don't really feel like I can do it in a game. He's like, no, you can. And he did. And he finished the season with 39 assists, easily a career high, completed almost 95% of his throws, and was still a dynamic threat downfield. So Fairfax, second team all AUDL, as was Cam Harris, who is underrated no longer. The Toronto Rush folks always gave me a hard time about underrating Cam for many, many years. Uh, second team all AUDL, I think, is, is right where he belongs for this current season. I mean, still a, a very important player for this franchise, guy that's been on the team, since 2013, he's played 88 regular season games. He's played 15 playoff games. He's among the all-time AUDL leaders in a variety of statistics, which is a tribute to his productivity and his longevity. And, I mean, he's a guy that I think has several good years left. You know, you think of him more as a thrower, but he's still a dynamic athlete as well. And... Even if he loses a step in terms of his explosiveness, he still has the potential to be a very uh, smooth offensive player going forwards as a distributor in the years ahead for the Toronto Rush. So certainly a guy that they want to keep on the team as long as they can because the institutional memory is, is massive. And just, I mean, the way Harris handles himself in big moments, in big games, you really can't ask for much more than Cam Harris. Uh, speaking of guys who have been in the league for a while, uh, second team All-AUDL, Jonathan Goose Helton of the San Diego Growlers. And, uh, you know, John, 
35 years old and obviously two-time MVP back in 2012 and 2013 when the league was very different than it is now. Uh, Helton had an awesome season. And, you know, his first with the Growlers after playing a couple years with Raleigh, he brought a, a leadership and a confidence and a, and a consistent, like, workforce to every practice in every game. I mean, obviously, he's a, he's a workout freak. He's created a business uh, monetizing his ultimate workout brand. And I have not done it. I probably could do it uh, and would make me in much better shape and, and feel better in a variety of ways. Uh, but... I mean, the way he just kind of seamlessly integrated into that team, uh, certainly a worthy second-team All-AUDL uh, award winner. And uh, the last two guys on the team, Chicago's Pavel Giannis, who once again led the league in assists, despite the fact that I think uh, Pavel and the rest of the Wildfire would feel pretty disappointed about the way the season ended. Giannis remains uh, a key anchor for that team. And look, he is is Mr. Consistency in terms of making it to every game. And and that's really the key in my mind for the wildfire going forward is to get everyone on the team 95% as committed as Giannis is. And if that can happen, the wildfire are probably the favorite in the Midwest. Now, we don't know what their roster is going to look like. We already know that one of their good players from last year has signed one other, with another team in their division. So, that uh, remains to be seen exactly what the 2020 wildfire are going to look like. But uh, barring something wacky, I would fully expect Giannis to be back. And, you know, he's a guy that, that will be on a mission to prove that he can lead a team all the way to the top. Because I, I think he probably believes that he can play his role and get players around him in the Chicago Ultimate scene to make the wildfire into a Midwest Division champ, which... Despite tons of talent since 2013, uh, they have not been. Now, they did uh, win the regular season title, I think, in 2012, maybe even 2013, but uh, fell short in the playoffs in those years, losing to oh, losing to, to Madison. 2013 was the first year of the wildfire, as I put the numbers and dates together. A lot of information is stored up there, and uh, the less sleep you get as a parent, the uh, more and more... Uh, the information gets a little foggier, as uh, I'm sure any parents out there can identify with. But, hey, I think I'm doing all right. Uh, Jack Williams of the New York Empire was the last member of second team All-AUDL. And Williams had, I think, by from his lofty standpoint, like almost as quiet of a second team All-AUDL season as you can have. I mean, he never had one game where it was like, oh, that was the Jack Williams game. But... He didn't need to, and that was the thing about what he did for New York. When I would talk to Brian Jones, almost after every game, he would name Jack as one of their best players from the game, and I'd look at the numbers, and he might be like you know, 30 of 31 completions with two assists and two goals or something like that. You know, Not overwhelming numbers, but from, from everything I've watched and from talking with, with the coaches, his ability to get resets when he needed to, and make the right decision at the right time were invaluable for the 2019 Empire. And, you know, to have him as an awesome role player, uh, I think that was what Bo Kittredge told me at the end of the season, said that Jack was just an amazing 
role player for that team, and that was what they needed him to be. We'll see if they need him to be more than that or what the future holds for Jack, uh, who's a bit of an ultimate tumbleweed. You don't know where he's going to go in the years ahead, but certainly uh, wherever he does go, there will be a local ultimate team battling for his services because he is a special talent overall. That's the second team All-AUDL. Jeff Babbitt, Abe Coffin, Jacob Fairfax, Cam Harris, Jonathan Helton, and Pavel Giannis and Jack Williams. Uh, what about the All-Rookie team? This is uh, something that we have not done every year for the All-AUDL, but you know, there were so many good rookies this year, it was just kind of a natural thing to put together. Uh, so real quickly, I'll run it down and then maybe share a few overview thoughts. Uh, All-AUDL rookie first team, Henry Fisher of the Raleigh Flyers, Hawk Jimenez of the Los Angeles Aviators. Again, I'm going alphabetically. Danny Landisman, also of the LA Aviators. Keenan Lawrence, teenage phenom for the San Jose Spiders. Canton Roger of the Montreal Royale. Drew Swanson, the Chicago Wildfire. And Eric Taylor of the Raleigh Flyers. Two Flyers on the first team, two Aviators on the first team in terms of the all-rookie teams in 2019. All-AUDL second team, Garrett Braun of the D.C. Breeze, Joe Cubitt of the Detroit Mechanics, all-star and all-AUDL rookie in his first year in the league. A.J. Merriman, D.C. Breeze, Akafumi Murao-Oka of the Toronto Rush, Sasha Poit-Sokolsky, another Frenchman for the Montreal Royale, Jack Shanahan for the Chicago Wildfire, and Quinn Snyder for the Minnesota Windchill. Uh, whom the Winchill recently announced that they just re-signed. These are fun teams. It'd be really fun to see these two teams go up against each other, wouldn't it? I mean, the first team would have incredible size and Fisher, and, I mean, Eric Taylor can distribute, and Roger can distribute, and Landisman and Jimenez and Swanson can all go run stuff down. Uh, you know, some pretty good players on the second team as well. Uh, you know, A.J. Merriman had a fantastic season for the Breeze. Garrett Braun might have been the most underrated player in the league this year. You know, talking to guys on D.C., they just raved about how valuable he was. And look, I mean, there's a, a Jacques Nissen potentially could have been an all-AUDL rookie for the Breeze as well. Did not play enough games, I don't think, and, you know, was not quite as spectacular. But Nissen, uh, 18-year-old kid, was really, really good and just being a steady, sturdy rock for the D.C. O-line when he was out there. And, you know, one thing to note about this list, I mean, not quite half, but a, a large chunk of these players are international players. Hakim Menez from Colombia, Kenton Roger and Sasha Poissakolsky from uh, France, Akafumi Morooka from Japan. And, you know, more and more international players are coming into the AUDL, which is super cool. The best stories that I love to chronicle are when, like, a guy from a foreign country outside of the U.S. shows up to practice, shows up to tryouts, and, like, no one on the team knew that they were coming or even really knows who they are, and they make the team. And we've seen that several times over the past several years with. Morooka this year with Toronto and Jimenez with LA and what Yo Senda did with the San Diego Growlers. 
it, it's not a, a one-time thing. Ben Ort uh, from the Netherlands did it with the Toronto Rush in 2018. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see this young talent. And when, when you talk about the ceiling for these players, I mean, there are several future MVP candidates on this list, especially when you consider the fact of the youth. I mean, Danny Landisman and Keenan Lawrence were just in high school last year. And, you know, some of the international players like Hawk and Quentin Roger, like just had their first year in the system. And they're also relatively young. And, you know, clearly if the MVP was awarded after the first three weeks of the season this year, it might've gone to Henry Fisher of the Raleigh Flyers who had a phenomenal start to the year for Raleigh. So, I'm excited to see all these players. The dark horse MVP candidate on this list might be Quinn Snyder of the Windchill, who had that incredible AUDL game of the week against the Chicago Wildfire in St. Paul in early June. And Snyder, who did not get a chance to play that much for the Windchill this year because A, he was living in Winnipeg, and B, he was on the Canadian U24 national team, and that was his priority. Presumably, his priority will be the wind chill in 2020. And, like, goodness, what numbers might he create? Because he will have the ability to do something special. Uh, he scored 21 goals over his final three games this year, including uh, 10 goals in that Week 9 game of the week. So that's uh, a look at the rookie teams of the 2019 season. A lot of really fun players on that list. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the 2019 AUDL Integrity Award winners. Each team nominated one player, and one Integrity winner was awarded in each division. And I've got a ton of respect for all four of these guys. Uh, in the East, Andrew Carroll of the Toronto Rush was the 2019 Integrity Award winner. In the Midwest, it was Pat Trywise of the Madison Radicals. In the South, it was Griffin Miller for the Dallas Roughnecks. And in the West, it was Steven Milardovich, longtime leader for the San Diego Growlers. And look, I mean, Miller's a little bit in a different category. You know, younger guy. I mean, all these guys have various levels of being relatively unknown and overlooked throughout their career. I'd say, I mean, Carroll was always kind of criminally underrated in the Toronto Ultimate scene, and Shrywise, I think, has always been looked at as one of the top players in the Radicals, but, you know, it's, it's been overshadowed by perhaps some of the flashier players that Madison has had through the years, and, you know, just had uh, another strong season for Madison, and, you know, the Radicals are at a crossroads for a number of reasons, and not going to spend too much time on it on this podcast but one of the reasons is they're losing a bunch of veteran players including pat shrywise who is unlikely to play in the audl in 2020 uh, he and his wife i believe just moved to chicago so whether or not they appear in a wildfire jersey down the road or whether they're uh, working on other aspects of life or ultimate uh, that remains to be seen uh, griffin miller awesome player i think it speaks volumes that he's earned a reputation pretty quickly as a guy that folks around the division would bestow an award like this too and uh look steve millardovich has been a fun guy to watch for several years for the growlers 
one of the guys that has battled through a number of tough seasons for the payoff of 2019. I mean, look, they went seven and seven, three of their first four years. They went two and 12 in 2016. And then this year they come out and go 10 and two, win the, win the West division uh, in a great playoff game. And Milardovic uh, was certainly very involved in, you know, not just playing great, but also playing the right way for the Growlers and being a good leader for that team. So, you know, those are those are four guys that, uh, you know, I'm not sure about Shrywise's future in the league, but, you know, independent of that, I hope all four of those guys stick around for as long as they possibly can because they're all good players and they're all good uh, sportsmen as well. Uh, obviously, Ben Yacht was the 2019 MVP. Well-deserved. Talked about that a bunch. And uh, Brian Jones, his coach in New York, was named AUDL Coach of the Year. And I thought that was pretty cool as well. The inaugural AUDL Coach of the Year Award. And uh, there were a few other finalists. Wes Nemec of the Roughnecks, Daryl Stanley of the Breeze, Pat Hammonds of the Thunderbirds, Kevin Stewart of the Growlers, Eric Leonard of the Alley Cats. It's basically a third of the coaches in the league at this point. Uh, but with that said, there was a lot of good coaching this year. And I think Coaching is becoming increasingly more important in a variety of ways. You know, when you have a lot of good players, someone needs to decide what everybody's role is going to be. And that is not a static thing. That is a constantly evolving thing. And the ability to analyze and look and make those adjustments is important. The ability to build a team culture and make everybody want to play hard and, and be a part of the team is important. And, uh, you know, Brian Jones entered a great situation this year, but also a situation that had a lot of pressure attached to it. And he found himself uh, at championship weekend and then hoisting the trophy on championship Sunday. So uh, kudos to Brian, uh, my friend. Uh, I was going to say my old friend, but no, that would be my Brian is, is still my friend. And, uh, you know, I expect him to be back on the sidelines for the Empire in 2020. And it'll be interesting to see how the Empire evolve going for the repeat. Because, I mean, if there's one thing we saw this year, the Madison Radicals were not the same team in 2019 that they were in 2018, despite the fact that most of their personnel was very, very similar. So that is a challenge ahead for Brian Jones with the New York Empire. And, you know, it's it's a little bit apples and oranges, but in some ways that's been a, a challenge for Brian coaching the New York club team that will be trying to defend its national championship out West in San Diego, uh, the USA ultimate club championships next week. Uh, they won the title last year for the first time this year. It's been a little bit of a different team, a lot of expectations, some new additions, maybe even more talent than the previous year, but not quite as smooth sailing. The hunger is just a little bit different when you are the hunted instead of the hunter. So, but Brian Jones did a great job this year with the Empire, and that's what we're talking about here. Uh, quickly, a few other bullet points to run down. Uh, mentioned earlier some sponsorship deals with the AUDL. You go to the AUDL.com right now. There's a big Deschutes banner front and center on the top of the website. Deschutes Brewery, presenting sponsor for the AUDL in 2020. A few weeks ago, I was out at a bar. And I saw that they had Deschutes on the menu, and it was an IPA, and I like IPAs, and I got it, and it was delicious. So, hey, you know, 
Deschutes is tasty. And if I go out to a bar and they have Deschutes, I'm going to get Deschutes. And it almost feels like that's my beer now. Now, when I'm in Minnesota, I'm sure I'll have some Surly. Respect to the Surly guys. And uh, if, if other teams get team-specific sponsorships, I'll take one for the team and have one of those as well. But there's something cool about Deschutes making an investment in the AUDL and speaking personally, I mean, the AUDL has also made an investment in me. I will uh, pay it pay it back a little bit when I go to a bar and uh, uh, get uh, certainly not what Deschutes is paying the AUDL or what the AUDL is paying me, but a, a fraction of that will go back uh, in, in the pot to uh, Deschutes and the local uh, brewing establishments uh, where I happen to frequent. Uh, other news, a um, couple coaching changes that have uh, – occurred quietly so far in the offseason. Uh, Montreal has named Steve Bonneau their new head coach. Steve Bonneau uh, had an interesting career for the Royale. A great season as a thrower, dealt with a variety of injuries, wasn't really able to battle back from that this year, and you know remained involved in the franchise, very active in the Royale and the local Montreal Ultimate community. And it's going to be an interesting fit for him as head coach. Look, he, he, to the best of my knowledge, has not coached at a super high level before. So there will certainly be some learning moments and some growing pains. But, you know, he clearly is the type of guy that sees the field well. You can see that from his days as a player. And, you know, it'll be it'll be a change after the the few coaches that Montreal has had whether it's been Caroline Codot or Guylaine Girard, before that, Mikhail Lacombe. Um, this is an elite male player uh, joining the, the squad in a coaching role now, and you know it'll be interesting to see how he does. As I mentioned before, though, that the biggest thing for the Royale is to maybe become a little bit more balanced and become a little bit more consistent against the best teams. I mean, they... Every game they play, it seems, against the top teams in their division, the playoff teams, New York, Toronto, and D.C., they will win quarters in those games. They'll win one or two quarters, but they'll have a lull. They'll make a few key mistakes and fall short. And, you know, the more and more I watched Montreal this year, like, I really felt they had the potential, but they just didn't have the consistency, especially when they have the difficult schedule that they've got. So, That'll be a, a tough challenge for them as they transition from Caroline Cadot to Steve Bonneau as the head coach. Uh, the Toronto Rush are also making a transition in the coaching department. Uh, not all that long ago, Sachin Reyna, who has been the coach uh, since midway through the 2017 season, was an assistant coach before that, was a player before that. He is now an advisor for the franchise and the Rush are in the market for a new head coach. And it'll be interesting to see who that new head coach is going to be. Could one of the former coaches, like Evan Phillips or Shooter Hasty, make a return? Not out of the question, but I would not predict it. I would doubt that. Uh, it's possible that Jonathan Martin, who was an assistant coach last year, steps up, although I know Martin has... Uh, young family and kids and may not want to make that commitment as well. And then it comes down to 
what other member of the Toronto Ultimate community wants to take that next step, whether it's a former player, whether it is someone else uh, who has done coaching in that world. Could the, the rush go the player-coach route? Could one of the elder guys in the team, like an Adrian Yearwood or Cam Harris, kind of transition to the player-coach? Uh, Thompson McKnight, also a key leader on that team, would not be shocked to see him assume more of a, an a official codified coaching role. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting thing to see for the Toronto Rush because they clearly have tons of talent. They clearly have a system that works. But the biggest thing for Toronto going forward, from my perspective, they need to get the consistent buy-in from their young players. I mean, they did not really have two key guys from the 2018 team that they expected to be key contributors in 2019. And Connor Armstrong and Bretton Tan, two guys that were inconsistent uh, participants in 2019 for the rush. And look, Toronto really showed themselves well with all of their young talent. But I think Armstrong and Tan unquestionably are, are two of the top young players in all of the country and really the entire AUDL as well. So those guys could be the cornerstone of that team and kind of help set the standard with the returning core of Carroll and Harris and McKnight. See if Moroka comes back for another year. I mean, they've got tons of talent in Toronto, but it does feel a little bit like a transition. I mean, look, they lost as many games this year in the regular season as they had lost in every previous regular season combined. And while that's not exactly accurate, it's pretty close to being accurate. So it does feel a little bit like a transition. Uh, personally, I was a little sad to see Saturnina go uh, for selfish reasons, and I shouldn't have waited this long in the podcast to salute Saturnina, but... Let, let me say this about Sachin. I've gotten to know him since I started working in the AUDL in 2014. There is not anybody in the league, player or coach or owner or whoever, who is more forthcoming and more detailed and more insightful and more eager to help me do my job than Sachin Reyna. And look, I, I appreciate what so many people around the league do for me to help me create content to tell stories taking time out of their schedules that are very busy as they are to fill me in via email via phone calls via text whatever and i certainly try not to let the the biases that almost inevitably ensue when you get those relationships with people impact the coverage. And I try to call things like I see them and be critical when that's necessary. And I think that is one of the reasons why folks see me as credible, or at least I hope they see me as credible. And, and with all that said, I just, I can't say enough about how much I appreciate what Saturnina did as, as a leader in this league, as a, a coach for his team, as a very, generous individual with his time and resources and insights not just to me but with with Lewis Zatzman I'm sure uh, who's based in Toronto covering the league and other media folks as well like I, I don't think anyone will you'll ever come across anybody as kind of friendly and eager to uh, converse and, and share than, than Sachin so you know 
good, bad, ugly, on the record, off the record. Uh, he was as good as it gets. And Sachin, if you made it this deep into the podcast, wow. Uh, take a break, bro. You're, you're, you're done coaching, although perhaps that means you get to be more of a fan and enjoy it. Anyway, I appreciate you, and uh, best of luck to you with whatever is next for you, uh, whether it is more ultimate or less ultimate or whatever it may be. Uh, I will miss you as the head coach of the rush, but glad you'll still be around as an advisor. Other quick news bites. Uh, the Minnesota Windchill, as we've alluded to, have been the most aggressive team in the 2020 free agent market. They have taken Matt Raider from the Chicago Wildfire, signing the free agent Raider. They re-signed Josh Klain and Cam Burden and Quinn Snyder, uh, who were core pieces last year, Klain and Burden especially. The fact that they've re-signed Burden and Snyder is a great indication that the Winnipeg contingent that really gave the Windchill a gigantic boost last year will presumably be back. It'll be interesting to see if the Windchill can sign the, the couple of Iowa State guys again that made a difference for the Windchill down the stretch. And look, Minnesota, it, it feels like it is a rising team. Now, I'm not sure I would say that they're the favorite in the Midwest right now, um, and but they, they're certainly moving upwards. And, you know, to get Quinn Snyder for the entire season would be gigantic. If they can get a bought-in Matt Raider, uh, that will be helpful as well. I mean, he is a, a special athlete who has an incredible array of experiences in the sport, and it'll be interesting to see how he gets integrated, whether you know he plays O-line for the windchill or whether he kind of helps to lead the D-line like he did late in the year for the wildfire and help make a difference in that respect, or maybe it'll be a combination of both for Matt Raider in 2020. Uh, either way, it'll be interesting to see him playing for the Twin Cities team. Other headlines before I wrap it up, and I obviously knew this could be a long podcast. Wasn't sure how long I would ramble, and yet, as usual, here we are again. Mentioned uh, other things for 2020. Uh, the All-Star Game heading back to D.C. Don't know too many more details about that at the moment, but presumably it'll be sometime in, in early, mid-June. And uh, look, if we can have anything close to the double overtime thriller we had last year, it would be awesome. Presumably, we'll have captains and a draft again, and that was a lot of fun. And there's just a, a cool uh, pride, I think, that players will, will hold about being an all-star and representing themselves well in an all-star game and you know, having a mix of competitive, fiery ultimate with also the great plays that these incredible athletes can do. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, going forward to 2020. Uh, not sure about the championship weekend location yet. Obviously, uh, the, the familiar candidates like Madison, maybe Montreal, uh, could be in the mix. Not sure if any other city will throw its hat in the ring. That is still being determined. But, uh, you know, I, I would expect it not to be on the West Coast again. So I imagine it'll be either in a, in a southeast or midwest city. It would certainly would not be shocked if it's back in Madison, but again, nothing final with that yet. Radical fans are just so good. Consistently, they are the best in the league in terms of showing up, in terms of supporting their team. And uh, obviously, Tim DeBiles done a great job championship weekends past in terms of making it feel like a massive event. So 
Radicals perhaps leader in the clubhouse there, but no official decision has been made yet that I can report. Uh, one other interesting nugget, and I'll probably leave it here. Uh, in 2020, the, the plan at the moment is to have stats taken for every single game that include throwing yardage and receiving yardage and total yardage, like we had championship weekend, like we also had in the All-Star game. And it's a, it's a system that's been pioneered by a few of the uh, statistically and uh, programming, coding uh, geniuses of the AUDL. And uh, I am really excited about what this new uh, stat keeping could mean for ultimate in terms of understanding the impact of certain players and what's important, what matters, what doesn't. And uh, yeah, I'm just very excited about it. It was awesome to have it championship weekend in a variety of different ways. And I look forward to hopefully having it with every team and every game in 2020, because that would be a, a cool way to look back at games each week and as the course of the entire season, I think we'll be able to draw more, more interesting conclusions from the data as the year goes on anyway. It is getting late Monday night. Uh, the football game is still on on my TV, and I will probably uh, finish the podcast, watch the end of that, and then get to bed. It'll be interesting to see if I can make it to the end of the game because uh, I go to bed a little bit earlier now than I did in the past uh, when you wake up a little bit earlier too. But anyway, uh, if you want to hear my voice somewhere other than the podcast, you can tune in to my football broadcast this Saturday. Uh, it's a noon Eastern time kickoff, NC State and Boston College from Chestnut Hill. It'll be airing on all the different regional sports networks across the country. So Fox Sports South in the Southeast and Nesson in Massachusetts and whatever your regional sports network is near you. It's also available online if you are uh, interested in, in hearing me call a football game. And I'm actually calling an ACC volleyball match on Sunday afternoon uh, as well down in Atlanta. So a busy weekend coming up. Looking forward to it. And then I head uh, out west for Club Nationals, which is uh, an event that has been going on for a long time and is a privilege to be a part of that as well. But as I looked uh, earlier today, we are something like 172 days away from the start of the 2020 AUDL season. That's assuming we're going to start the first weekend in April. I've not seen any schedule yet, but if we start on Saturday, April 4th, uh, that would be 172 days from now, uh, which is a little less than six months. So we're less than half a year away from the return of Ultimate. Uh, certainly this podcast uh, will return before then, as will some off-season written content uh, on the AUDL.com. And I've got some other cool ideas percolating as well in terms of uh, highlighting some classic games from the past and doing some other featurey type stuff as well in the off-season. But I'll leave it there for now. If you made it from the start to the finish, I appreciate you. Thank you very much for listening to this off-season Tuesday Toss edition of the AUDL podcast. Thank you for following the AUDL. Seriously, it means a lot. Appreciate listening. Hope everybody is having a great fall. Look forward to seeing many of you who are listening out in San Diego next week. Looking forward to 2020. It is just around the corner. But for now... Evan Leppler signing off from North Carolina. Talk to you again soon.